following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Father, thank you that as we start a new year, we can continue to depend upon you, one who does not change. We can begin with the truth found in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, one we just sang about. The steadfast love of the Lord never changes. His mercies never come to an end. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. As I read these three, first three chapters of Deuteronomy this week, your faithfulness was one of your attributes that stood out to me. You are faithful in keeping your promises no matter how long it takes, even seven or 800 years. You had promised to Abraham in Genesis 15 that his offspring would come back to take over this land and that the wicked Amorites would finally be judged for their great iniquity. Both of these promises were in process of being fulfilled in those days. Another attribute that stood out was your patience along with your grace and mercy. Psalm 103 says that you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You know how we are formed, and you remember that we are dust. You were patient with the Amorites, with the Israelites, and you are patient with us. You are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. As we begin our journey through the truths and lessons in the book of Deuteronomy, I pray that Jordan would be anointed by your spirit so he can share clearly the insights you have given him in his preparation. At the same time, may the Holy Spirit impress upon us in our hearts that even though these writings are almost 4,000 years old, they are still the living word of God and need to be respected and obeyed and are relevant for our lives today. Deuteronomy is a book about remembering and then making the right choices. In God's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is uh, the law. Um, so you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that uh, prayer was absolutely fantastic, but it was also stealing my introduction to the book of Deuteronomy. So I guess I should just jump down in the text. <laughs> uh, it is a wonderful book, uh, Deuteronomy is, and hopefully, prayerfully, uh, we will learn a lot um, in these upcoming weeks as we spend time together. Maybe this is brand new for you, maybe uh, this, is, this is familiar territory, uh, but it is the Word of God. <clears throat> so we're going to start with the title of Deuteronomy. 
Deuteronomy in Hebrew, Hebrew Old Testament, okay? Old Testament is going to be written in Hebrew. New Testament is going to be written in Greek. So we look at both of those meanings in regards to the name of Deuteronomy. Hebrew, Deuteronomy means these are the words. What words? These are the words of God. In Greek, Deuteronomy means the second law or a copy of the law. And what the Greek word suggests is a retelling of God's law that was given to man first and foremost at creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He also created male and female. And when he created them, he impressed the truths that he would have them know on their hearts. It was given to man, Adam, at creation. Man is like a sheep who goes astray. And so God says that man needs his law a second time, and it was written down in this book, those first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So that's what Deuteronomy does. It retells, repeats, or reminds God's people of the fact that he has made a covenant, a relationship with them. Moses is our author The great Moses, right? The one who led the Israelites. As we learned last year when we studied Exodus, God's people from captivity as slaves in Egypt into safety. He's the one that says, let my people go, right? That's Moses. Moses is a very Christ-like figure in the Old Testament. If we look at Moses, we realize that he does many things that Jesus will do for us, but in a better or more perfect way. He mediates between God and the people. He gives the law. He explains it well. And he lays this foundation for the fact that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will come. Denny alluded to it, but it's believed that Deuteronomy is written about 1,400 years before uh, Jesus shows up at the scene. And give or take a few of those years because people debate it, and we're not going to debate it this morning. (laughs) At the end of 40 years of Israel's wandering around the desert, here comes the book of Deuteronomy. And for those of you who have never looked at the map section in the back of your Bible, now's a good time. Because in the back, in those map sections, we see exactly where the people are at. They are camped on the east side of the Jordan River on the plains of Moab, across from a place called Jericho. They're on the verge of entering into the land that God promised to their forefathers in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. It says, these are the words that Moses, our author, spoke to Israel, God's people, beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. The children who left Egypt are now adults. And God needs to reiterate his covenant with them through Moses so they would be distinct regarding the worship of one God. Same is true today. We are to be distinct in our worship of one God in three persons, understanding that he alone is to be worshipped. Now, as we start to unpack Deuteronomy, we have to look at this through what we call New Testament eyes. We have the entire Bible that's been given to us, and we are believers in Jesus Christ, knowing full well that Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 is true. That we as Gentiles who believe in Jesus Christ are grafted into this nation, 
and making all of us believers, there's now no more Jew or Gentile or Greek or slave or free or any of that thing. We're all believers in Christ. It wasn't that way back then, but it is now. And we realize that that makes us totally unique among all other pagan worshiping nations. That's important. Deuteronomy is going to be all about obedience. God makes an unconditional covenant to Abraham. He promised him, and now it's going to be between him and Israel. But his desire is that his people remain faithful and obedient to him. The same is true. If I had a prayer for you in 2023, you know what it would be? That you would be faithful and you would be obedient to the living God so that it may go well with you. Here we see that the kids of the adults... Once enslaved in Egypt are too young to have participated in that first covenant ceremony at Mount Sinai. That's Exodus 19. And so Moses is going to review God's law and he's going to urge this generation to re-covenant or recommit to God's ways in order to be successful. So basically what this is, is this is a learning from the past mistakes in order to have a more prominent God-honoring future. That's the whole point, all right? And I know you're looking at this and you're saying... He's going to do three chapters today. Absolutely, 100%. should take about three and a half hours. We'll be good, all right? I'm just kidding. We're not going to take three and a half hours. A couple people like started standing up. like They're like, I'm out. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Now, there's no way that I'm going to be able to read all of this scripture, so we're going to kind of hit the highlights of this, okay? Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1 is all about, in all things from God, we obey. And everything that God has given to us and trusted to our care, all 66 books of the Bible, we obey. Obedience is going to be uh, your number one thing this year. You know, people pick out words. Have you ever picked out a word for your year? My, my word is patience. My word is calm. My word is peace. My word is obey. And that comes from Genesis, or Deuteronomy chapter 1. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 1 is going to break down into three specific sections, okay? You have the first eight verses. You have verse 9 through 18, and then you have verse 19 through 46. That's how we're going to break it down, okay? In the first section, verses 1 through 8, the command to obey is to leave Horab, a place that the people had gotten comfortable with, and move into the promised land. Now, this is really important for us as believers today, too, as well. We get comfortable in places, and God says, I want you to move. God loves when we're uncomfortable, doesn't he? Horeb, if you want to circle that, or Mount Sinai are the exact same thing, a little bit different location-wise, but for our study purposes, we're just going to say they're the same thing. They mean desert, which is where most of the events transpired from Exodus. So Exodus connects to Deuteronomy. From Horeb, it's an 11-day journey for the people by the way of Mount Seir, look at verse 2, to Kadesh Barnea. Verse 3 says, on the first day of the 11th month, or the final year of the 40th year of wandering, after Moses had slayed a pagan king, and all the examples that we're going to see in Deuteronomy of the Israelites being successful are examples of God's favor upon the people. Moses is going to prepare the people's minds to receive the law of God in the land of Moab. That connects to Genesis chapter 19, verse 30. And he declares, look at verse 6. The Lord our God. You should underline that twice. And you should say that to yourself always. 
because it's repeated 50 plus times in the book of Deuteronomy. The people need to know who their God is. Who's our God? The Lord is our God. The time of wandering is up. Now they have to go to this land that God set before them, which is the land of Canaan. And that's why some of the children's stories make more sense when they speak of, we're going to the land of Canaan, right? Now pause for a second. Let's start to build some application here in the text. Even though God brings his people into trouble and affliction, he knows when they have been there long enough. The people have been troubled, they've been afflicted, and God says it's time for that trouble and that affliction to be to cease. He knows they've been there long enough. And we never forget, as believers, with this New Testament covenant eyes, that as the Old Testament was looking to a tangible Canaan, we're looking to a heavenly Canaan. We have our faith and trust in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that God uses all things, his command, for our good, for he will restore us one day in our heavenly Canaan. We look forward to what is to come. Now, what does that mean for us? That means be very careful on how tightly you grasp the things of this world. Be very careful on your materialistic possessions and the things that you have because they are temporary. They are simply tools. When we get comfortable here, that's when God says, I don't want you to be that comfortable, but I want you to understand the importance of the fact that this is not your home. Heaven is our home. Now, verse 9 through 18, second section. Obedience to leave that which you are comfortable with and move into obeying appointed leadership. Oh boy. Israel did a fantastic job multiplying in the wilderness. What else are you going to do? Moses realized his inability to govern all these people by himself. Look at verse 10. He looks to God as he's looked out to the people, and I think this is a lot of humor in this. He says, they are as numerous as the stars in the heavens. So he appoints leaders, verse 15, heads of your tribes, to be over the groups of people, verse 16, to hear the cases between your brothers and judge them righteously. If anything gets too difficult for Moses to hear, then of course, or for the people to hear, then Moses steps in and he gives counsel. And here we realize the start of listening to godly leadership that has been entrusted to our care. We talked about this a little bit uh, when we studied 1 Peter as a congregation. And we realize that 1 Peter says, obey your authorities as those authorities obey the Lord. So when are we allowed to disobey authority? When authority disobeys God's word. And here we realize that systems and structures are good and for our benefit. And for those of us who have kids, you may use this passage of scripture to get them to clean their room. God loves clean rooms. Amen? Okay. God also loves clean workplaces and just clean lives, right? So we have to believe that this is from God, and it shows God's goodness, and God wants his people, watch this, to operate inside of a structure of leadership, not outside of it, so that it may go well with them. Obey your leaders as I make you uncomfortable in a new land, last section, all of which must be obeyed through faith. Those 27 verses, verse 19 through 46, are verses of Moses reminding the Israelites about their wandering from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea through a great and terrible wilderness. The Israelites saw the land and were told, look at verse 21, 
Do not fear or be dismayed. We spied it out, verse 24. We tasted from its fruit, verse 25. And in the last part of verse 25, look what it says. It says, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Heaven is a good land that the Lord our God is giving to us. Now, there's a problem here, though. It says in the text that they would not go in because they were afraid. And Denny alluded to this in his prayer of the Amorites, These people, God's people, the Israelites, are afraid, and God calls them a faithless and unbelieving generation. It's a summary of all those verses. Who would pass away and not see the promised land, but their kids would. Now this links to Hebrews chapter 3 verse 2, or verse 12, which will be on the screen. It says this, it says, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. A sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, Yahweh. That living God is Old Testament text. Yahweh, the God above all other gods. An unbelieving heart is the central message of chapter 1. Unbelieving hearts lead to disobedient actions. When you disobey God's commands, his leaders even have lack of faith. All disobedience to God's will, to God's word, and to God's ways lead to a trickle of distrust regarding his power and his goodness. So what? If you want 2023 to be a fantastic year, then it has to be a faith-filled year. If you want 2023 to be a fantastic year, then you must, in your heart, Obey the Lord to enhance your faith to be able to see all of God's promises come to fruition. God's people, in other words, must keep their eyes fixated on him and him alone to see the fruits of their labor. It might not be earthly fruit, but it will always be eternal fruit. And this is what chapter 2 is all about. So let's move into chapter 2. As you're obedient in all things, trust God's promises. Trust God's promises. Well, what promises do we trust? Well, that's a good question. Chapter 2 breaks down into two more sections. Verse 1 through 25 is going to be our first section. And verse 26 through 37 is going to be our second section. In the first section, we realize that there is a promise of victory over our enemies. Now, again, we see this with New Testament eyes, so we have to understand that this is the Old Testament where they're talking about the fact that they would be victorious over their enemies going into this land of Canaan. Verse 1 through 25 is a short account of Israel's long stay in the wilderness. Look at chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, Then we turned and we journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea, As the Lord directed, that's faith and obedience in his commands. With such a large group of the people, we see that the people encounter the people of Esau, verse 4 of chapter 2. And they're afraid, but God's directions are clear. Do not fight with the people of Esau, he says. Pay them for the resources that they have to avoid any hostility. Now, we understand that Deuteronomy is going to be written uh, as a whole, so there's going to be some things that are going to be inserted later on after the text was completed. Commentators believe that verse 10 of chapter 2 through verse 12, as well as chapter 2 verse 20 through 23, are inserted after the completion of Deuteronomy. 
for the reason to show how God had been preparing the land and the people for victory. The time was now to rise up. Look at verse 24 if you want to underline that. And begin to take possession as God had put the fear and dread of the people, of himself on the people. Church, God always provides support and encouragement for his people. Always. You could be walking through the valley of the shadow of death and God will still provide for his people encouragement and support. However, the real test for us as believers is putting our faith to trust what God has promised to be true. Remember what Paul says in the New Testament? He says, they could kill me and I would still be absent from the body and present with Christ. It didn't matter what pain and persecution Paul was facing. He realized that when he put his faith and trust in what God promised and not what the world promised, he was successful. If God indicated that he was going to put dread and fear of the people of Israel upon the enemies of Israel, how much more so will it be with us who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Sometimes when you walk into a room, it is not the people are afraid of you. It is that they're afraid of the spirit that dwells within you. And so here, what we're seeing and what we're having transpire is that God uses one nation, Israel, to make himself known throughout the entire world. How much more so will it be with us, the church? If he is the Lord and a great warrior who fights for his chosen people, then we trust the promises that are in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, as Paul pens them to the church in Corinth. Look on the screen. He specifically says that you are not to be afraid. All of the promises of God find their yes in him, Jesus Christ. That is why it is through Jesus that we utter our amen to God. That is why you pray in Jesus' name. It is for his glory, it's not for our own glory. And the writer, Paul, continues, he says, It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal upon us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, then why are you afraid? Why are you fearful? Why are you upset? Why are you scared about what's going to happen in 2023? Why are you scared about the things that are transpiring in the world? Why are you scared about the people who are present in your life? God already has it figured out. He has already impressed the truth of scripture upon your heart. God's people are never supposed to be timid. We are always confidently assured because we have Christ. So the promise from God is, I will give you victory over your enemies. But look at the second thing in the second section. He says, not only will I give you victory over your enemies, I will do exactly what I said I was going to do. The second section of chapter 2 is also in Numbers chapter 21, for those of you who like to kind of cross-reference a little bit. It describes the beginning of Israel taking the land. In short, Moses tries to assure a pagan Amorite king, his name is Sihon, that he would pass through the land without causing any trouble. And just like it is with pagan people, they don't trust God's people when we give promises from God. And so what happens here is the Edomites declined and they forced Israel to take a longer route. Now look at verse 30 of chapter 2. This is the exact same thing that happened to Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. God hardened King Sion's spirit and made his heart obstinate. So Sion and his people engaged Israel in the battle at Jahaz, where God granted the victory, which was based solely on his promises, proving that he fights for his people. 
The Israelites then capture all the city of Hezbon and destroy everything forbidden. Notice that in that second section of chapter 2, they destroyed all idols. They got rid of everything that was not of God. In order to trust God's promises, sometimes you've got to get rid of the problems that are in the way of you and your relationship with God. Can I say that again? There are some things that you are participating in, that we are participating in, and God says, I don't want any of those things to be present in your life. If you go through the entire Old Testament, you will see how serious God takes idols. He hates them. It wasn't the people's doing here in regards to what God has been, had been said. It was what God had promised. Now, I don't know about you, but in the New Testament understanding of an Old Testament text, this reminds me of those words from the old hymn, When We All Get to Heaven. You remember that song? Uh, Four-part four harmony does a great job. I'm not going to sing it to you. I'm going to read it to you. Think about this in regards to us as believers in the New Testament going to our heavenly Canaan. Onward to that prize before us, soon his beauty will behold, soon the pearly gates will open, and we will tread the streets of gold. When we all get to heaven, what a great rejoicing that will be. I think that the people of the Old Testament, if they had had these words, they said, when we all get to Canaan, what a great rejoicing that will be. When we all have the ability to see with our eyes the presence of Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. There was a victory that was won here, but there's also a victory that will be won for us in the heavenly Canaan. God constantly, church, don't miss this, reassures his people of victory. If you embrace a 365-day Bible reading plan, you will see over and over and over and over again in the text that God constantly has reassured you of the victory that you have in Jesus Christ. He says it over and over and over again. As believers, our provisions are met, our victories are secured in Christ. How much more joyful will our souls be than Israel was when believers are removed out of the wilderness of this world into a better heavenly country? The Bible says, happy are those who Jesus has delivered from the wrath to come. And so as a believer's inheritance cannot be affected by revolutions of kingdoms or changes in earthly possessions, we trust and obey God's promise. When you hear somebody say this year, it's going to get worse, tell them to stop talking. Because we trust and obey that as believers, the more we mature in our relationship with Christ, it gets better. The world may look worse, but for us in our relationship with Christ, it gets better. It always gets better. Chapter 3. In all things, know that the Lord is just. All of those things connect with God's justice. In all things we obey God. In all things we trust the promises of God, knowing that he is just. Now, just like the other sections broke down, chapter 3 breaks down into two sections. Verse 1 through 22. Excuse me, verse 23 through 29. God is just first and foremost in that first section of scripture where he fights for his people. After Israel's victory over Sinon, they went to Bashan, meeting King Og. And if you look at that, is this battle of uh, Andrei. And God, and there's a Star Wars term right there that I have wrestled with all week long, because you have Andretti and you have Mario Andretti, and there's all these words, and Old Testament words are hard to understand sometimes. Amen? Regardless, God commands, look at verse 2, do not fear them. 
just like Sihon. Do not fear them. So Israel destroys Og, leaving Moses to distribute ownership of territories to the tribes of Israel. Verse 12 of chapter 3 all the way through verse 17 are the distribution that is going to happen in these tribes. Moses stresses that he needs help, though, for Israelites to conquer the land beyond the Jordan. And so watch this. Valiant men leave everything to fight. A conquest that's going to take about seven years. We learn about this in Joshua chapter 14 before returning home. And Moses, in verse 21 of chapter 3, restates the encouraging words to Joshua to be strong and courageous as he's chosen by God to lead the people to Canaan, reminding him of God's faithfulness. Verse 22 is a key in Deuteronomy chapter 3. You shall not fear them, for the Lord your God fights for you. So the Israelites' victory had already been granted. They just had to show up. That Old Testament principle is a New Testament truth. Sometimes our victories are already granted to us. We just have to show up. We look at this and we realize that this tells us that our faithful God, Yahweh, fights for his people. He is great. When we get ready for battle, God's already delivered the enemy into our hands. You just have to show up. Now, here's the problem. People look at this all the time and they say, I did show up and I didn't get what I wanted. It's not about getting what you want. It's about getting what God rightly deserves in regards to praise. You may not always get an earthly answer, but you will always get an eternal reward. Why is my spouse not coming to Christ? That's God's timing. Why am I not getting a promotion at work? That's God's timing. Why are my kids not coming to Christ? That's God's timing. The question on the table is, are you showing up prepared that God will do something great in regards to what he said that he was going to do? So often, so many times we look at this and we think to ourselves, but God, I'm not getting what I want. And he's like, it's not about what you want. It's about eternal rewards, not earthly answers. I'm fighting for my people. Just show up. Second part of the section. And understand that God's justice means sometimes there's consequences for sin. I cannot read Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 25 through 29, and feel sorry for Moses. I just feel bad for the guy. He makes one mistake, and he doesn't get to go to the promised land. But I forget about the heavenly Canaan. Here we see in that last section, Moses talks about his disobedience that prohibits him from entering the promised land. This is all in Numbers chapter 20, by the way. And God's angry with Moses because the Israelites wouldn't listen to him. Sounds like a pastor, if you ask me. However, the Lord in his grace allows Moses to see this land, this promised land from afar, and he commands Moses to strengthen Joshua as he led the Israelites to Canaan. It's amazing. Sometimes we are raising a generation here at Community Gospel Church to impact people that we cannot impact ourselves. He says in verse 29, Moses ends, we remained in the valley opposite of Beth Peor, which is exactly where Moses would be buried. He is at the spot of his death. Now, what's crazy is, as a leader, Moses could have been upset. He could have been really upset about this, but he looks at it and he says, that's fair. 
Moses could have had a bad attitude, but here, that's not Moses. He would do everything possible to love the Lord and his people and prepare them to go and make Joshua a success. That's leadership. Leadership is setting other people up for success. Leadership is setting God's people up for success. Leadership is doing the right thing, even though there might not be an earthly answer. Moses knew that the Lord was just. He accepted what God gave him. He does the exact same thing that Job does in Job chapter 1, verse 21. He says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God's going to do what God's going to do. I need to be faithfully obedient to him. Moses had the heart of a true shepherd, and he knew the Lord was just. It was his way all the time. That's exactly why he is such a model of Christ in the New Testament. Jesus goes to the cross for us. Jesus says, this is what must happen. This is what must transpire. So Moses reviews the Israelites' past. He wants them to understand their sin. He wants to give them the ability to repent. And then he wants them to obediently trust the Lord in faith to live properly. For the Lord now and in all future endeavors. This morning was interesting. I just started um, uh, back through uh, the New Morning Mercies book by Paul David Tripp. It's a devotional that's absolutely fantastic. I went through it a couple years ago, finished another devotional, and got to this January 1st, and I thought, man, that's so good. That's exactly what we're talking about today. And I want to read it to you as we close our sermon this morning. Here's the bottom line. The Christian life, the church, our faith is not about us. They're about him. They're about his plan, his kingdom, his glory. It really is the struggle of struggles, isn't it? It's counterintuitive for all of us. It's the, right, it's the thing that makes our lives messy and our relationships conflictual. It's what sidetracks our thoughts, kidnaps our desires. It's the thing below all other things that you could point to that argues for our need for grace. It is the one battle that never escapes us. It is the one place where 10 out of 10 of us need rescue. It is the fight that God wages on our behalf to help us to remember that life is simply not about us. It is about God. It's about God's plans. It's about God's kingdom. It's about God's glory. This is precisely why the first four words of the Bible may be the most important words. In the beginning, God. These are four thunderously important words. They really do change everything from the way that you think about your identity, from the way they think about your meaning and purpose, to the way that you approach even the most incidental of human duties. Everything that was created was made by God and for God. All the glories of the created world were designed to point to his glory. The universe is his, designed to function according to his purpose and his plan. And that includes you And it includes me. We were not made to live independent, self-directed lives. We were not meant to exist according to our own little self-oriented plans. Living for our own moments of glory. No, we were created to live for the Lord. Where is this God word living meant to find expression? It is meant to be expressed not just in the religious dimension of our lives. In other words, what he's saying is Sunday morning church. But in every aspect of our existence. 
I love how Paul captures this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. When Paul thinks of the call to live for the glory of God, he doesn't first think of the big, life-changing, self-consciously spiritual moments of life. No, he thinks of something as mundane and repetitious as eating and drinking. Even the most regular, seemingly unimportant tasks of my life must be shaped and directed by a heartfelt desire for the glory of God. That's obedience. Now, I don't want, and I don't know about you, but in the busyness of life, I often lose sight of God's existence, let alone his glory. So we start this new year by admitting that there is nothing less natural for us than to live for the glory of another. First to Christ, then to our brothers and sisters. This is our act of worship. This admission is the doorway, not to despair, but to hope. God knew that in your sin you would never live this way. So he sent his son to live the life you couldn't live, to die on your behalf, to rise again conquering sin and death. He did not do this so that you would sin, so that grace would abound. He did this so that you would not only be forgiven for your allegiance to your own glory, but have every grace you need to live for his. When you admit your need for help, You connect yourself to the rescue he has already provided in his son, Jesus. And so daily, you reach out for hope by reaching out for the rescue again, over and over and over again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the word for 2023 is obedience. Obedience. You have called us into a relationship with you through faith and trust In Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Because you have called us into this relationship, you do not want us to follow you and sin so that grace may abound. You say, by no means. Help our lives to be conformed to the image of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Give us the ability to do what Jesus said when he said, go and sin no more. Help us to obey all of your commands realizing that they are boundaries that are put into our life that need discipline so that we can honor you and love you better. Help us to trust in the hard times that your promises all come true. Help us to realize and believe that your way is a better way, that your truth is a better truth, that you, the living God, are the God above all other gods, those idols that we have set up and put in place in our life. Help us to destroy them, Lord. God, and help us to know that you are just through it all. That you know what you're doing. You're working for the good of those who love you. Help us to keep our minds fixated on those eternal rewards and not that which is earthly. And give us the ability in all things that will happen and transpire this year to say, yes, you are good and your love endures forever. I pray these things in Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.